Welcome to episode 21 of the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined by Matt Collins of BP Boston and Over the Monster. Matt, it's been a long time since we've been on together. Yeah, it's been what seems like years. Well, I, I don't know whether that's a good or a bad thing, <laughs> that it seems that long. But it has been over a month, so there's been a ton of baseball going on um, since that has happened. Um, so we have a whole lot to talk about today. You can find Matt on Twitter at, at Red Sox Thoughts. Um, very active tweeter there, so definitely give him a follow. Um, but, you know, the first thing that I want to talk about is what happened uh, on Sunday Night Baseball. Because uh, I was at that game. Uh, I had pretty good seats to it. So I was, like, very dialed into all of the uh, the happenings that night. And um, Sorry to hear that. Yeah, no, it wasn't great. It was uh, one of the longest innings of my life when uh, when Eddie went out of the game. I believe that was in the sixth inning. Yeah. Um, and Matt Barnes went in. And uh, I had a lot of hope at that point, too, because <clears throat> we'll get to this a little bit more, but Eddie really did battle in this one. Um, he, I, I, th- I think he did a good job kind of sticking, sticking it out when he didn't have his best stuff, um, which is something we haven't really seen from him in the past. And then... Uh, the bullpen goes ahead and turns in uh, really the worst performance I can remember from a Red Sox bullpen in a very long time. I mean, this is this is one of the all-time uh, all-time ineptitude uh, you know, performances from from the bullpen here. Matt Barnes was just horrible. He basically went out through BP, um, caused the Red Sox to relinquish what was at the time a 4-2 lead, uh, and uh, they never recovered from that. So. Um, Really, really tough to watch, uh, but it, it centers in on what I think is the biggest weakness for this team going forward, something that's been identified and something that's really been accentuated as of late, especially in August with the way that the bullpen's been performing. Um, so what I want to ask you is, you know, how do the Red Sox address these bullpen struggles? If there's anything they can do about it, I mean, what is it and... You know, what do you see happening here? Because this looks like it could be uh, an Achilles heel for this team this year. Yeah. Um, I mean, the last month has been awful. Um, and the sucky part is that there's really nothing that they can do. Um, I mean, it's too late to really make a trade. And I guess Papelbon is still a possibility. But, I mean, I don't know how much that would really help. Uh, I think they just kind of have to hope that these guys are better than what they were last month. Um, I think the way I look at it right now, they have, I have, I'm mostly confident in Kimbrell, Ziggler, and uh, Robbie Ross to some extent. I think those guys, those three are, they're not great. They're at least solid enough to rely on most nights. And I mean, if they can get one more guy to step up and join that group, um, I'd be somewhat comfortable especially given the offense and the way the rotation has looked lately. But I'm not really sure who that guy is right now. Um, I mean, they have a lot of options. And uh, Koji's coming back possibly next week. Maybe he can step up. But they just have a lot of wild cards. And if one or two of them can step up, I think things will look a lot better. But that's a lot easier said than done. Yeah, I I kind of see the same things. It's it's just uh, hoping that some of these guys write the ship. And um, 
for for a piece that is so important like Matt Barnes is to the team, a guy who really is a late inning option that is being relied on uh, to to come in in situations like this. Farrell's basically had him be his go-to guy with uh, men on base this season, pretty much the fireman. Um, but his ERA has been steadily rising. It's all the way up to 445 right now, so that hasn't been good. And Janitu Tozawa, even in these mop-up roles, has looked just god-awful. So I, I don't know if he's got anything left in the tank. So I think that the, the team is going to be hoping um, that Koji does come back on Monday um, and is a positive addition to this team. And I think he's going to be at least better uh, than everybody not named Craig Kimbrell in Brad Ziegler if he comes back and he is any semblance of his old self. Is that a fair expectation for him right off the bat? Um, I mean, it's been... I don't know. How long has he been out for? He's been out since... I want to say it's been like a month and a half. July, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, for a guy who's 41, I mean, that's kind of a long layoff. Um, I mean, he certainly has the talent to be that guy, obviously. And um, even if he wasn't completely himself earlier in the year, he the strikeouts were still up. uh, The walks were still down. Um, I just – I think he's probably the best option out of the Buckholtz – Tazawa, Barnes, Hembry group that could step up and be that um, extra piece that they need, but I'm not sure that I'd be 100% confident or anything like that. It's just, it's really hard to rely on somebody that, that that's that old. Yeah, it is tricky. What do you think about Buckholt stepping up and being a reliable bullpen arm, though? Do you think that that's a role that he can thrive in? We've seen him do it in long relief, but the Red Sox really need somebody that can come in at any given point during a game and get key outs for them, whether or not that's, you know, sixth inning, fifth inning, um, or eighth inning. They need that guy. Do you think Buckholz can step up and be that righty? Uh, I mean, he can. I don't know if I think he will. Um, even when he's been successful during this run, uh, the strikeouts haven't really been there, so I'm not sure how much I – totally believe in what he's been doing, but I, at the same time, it's Clay Buckles. We've obviously seen the flashes before. Um, we know he can do when he's on his game, so he certainly has a talent. I think I'd bet on Koji before I bet on Buckles, but um, again, that whole group is just a mess. Um, I would say that I think Ziggler is probably the guy who needs to be utilized more. Um, I think he's been kind of underrated since he's gotten here, and I would have liked to see him in that spot where Barnes came in last night. I know um, the situation, it was a little earlier than they usually use Ziggler, and I kind of understand that, but uh, I think going forward, he has to be that guy that comes in with men on base. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think that's a fair question to ask with the team taking a 4-2 lead, and especially the Royals had been hitting the ball on the ground a lot that night, and there were... Even in that Matt Barnes sequence, there were a few plays that were just, you know, choppers that the Red Sox couldn't get to. And that's part of what made it such a frustrating inning was Barnes wasn't able to do anything. He didn't record an out. He, you know, let all all of his inherited runners score, gave up a bunch of hits, just couldn't really get anything going, uh, whatsoever. Um, but I, I do wonder why they wouldn't go to their best guy because Matt Barnes has been struggling as of late, and it's not like Ziegler's been completely lights out, but for a team like 
the Royals in in that situation, I do feel like a guy with a little bit more of a, a ground ball ability might have been a, a good option at that point. Why do you think Farrell didn't consider him? Um, so I don't remember the exact timeline um, of when Barnes started warming up. Uh, I don't know if he started at the beginning of the inning and then he just happened to be the guy who was ready uh, for the bases loaded shot. So He was I mean, the think, only guy warming up at that point. They didn't go double barrel at that point. Yeah, I don't know if he's when he started warming up, though, because, I mean, if they started warming him up when Rodriguez looked like he was getting into trouble, then I could see the case for Ziggler being the guy to get uh, start getting warmed up. But if they had Barnes going in the beginning of the inning just in case Rodriguez uh, started to struggle, then I can kind of see that and just save Ziggler for the 7th or the 8th. Um, so it's kind of hard to say without knowing. And I I recapped that game. I should definitely know this, but I just don't, <laughs> I don't remember. Um, yeah, they, well, there's 162 of them, so, you know, we can't. We can forgive you for forgetting a few of the details, but it is interesting um, that, you know, Farrell has not been more willing to use his best guys in earlier innings, and especially with this game being the deciding game in the series against a really hot Royals team and with the Red Sox now getting Tampa Bay at home before they start a long West Coast road trip, it seemed like a game that was pretty important and one that, I think even if he had come in with a guy like Craig Kimbrell in that situation to uh, to put the fire out, I don't think anybody would have been hypercritical of him for doing that. It, it did it did feel like a pretty important game to me. Did you get that same feeling? Yeah, I mean, I think there's so many teams in this race right now that um, every game is kind of important. We're at that point of the year. But um, I don't know. I saw a lot of people calling for Kimbrell to come in, and I mean – in an ideal world, that would happen, but we we don't live in that world, and I don't really think it's fair to criticize John Farrell for not bringing him in. Um, I know the ProJo guys were talking about it, and Tim Britton talked about how um, closers just aren't used to that yet, and sometimes we see them brought in the eighth instead of the ninth, and that's changing a little bit, but, I mean, to bring in Kimbrell in the middle of the sixth inning with the bases loaded... Um, we're just not at that point of baseball yet, unfortunately. Even if that might have been the smartest move, um, it's just not realistic. Yeah, it's not It's not fair to expect that from a guy in Farrell that has not been doing anything even remotely close to that at any point during the year. And even some of the most progressive managers in baseball, the Joe Maddens of the world, haven't uh, really fallen into doing anything of that sort. So, yeah, it's, it's not shocking, even though it might be the best uh, sabermetric outcome um, when you really look at everything, but uh, frustrating nonetheless that the Red Sox bullpen continues to give away games for them. Let's talk about the starter, though, because uh, Eddie did look decent in his return. I don't want to say he looked good because he didn't. He allowed four hits, four walks, um, only struck out one. It definitely did not look sharp early on in the game. Um, stayed away from his slider really for the first two innings or so, then started mixing it in a little bit. But what I liked about the start from Eddie was that, unlike some of the other starts that we've seen from him when he wasn't feeling 100%, he didn't get tuned up. He didn't go out there and give up nine runs, um, just get completely blown off the map. Uh, he hung tough, uh, and I think that he was able to execute a little bit more as the game went on. He did throw that slider more uh, later in the game 
uh, even through back-to-back sliders a few times um, and just kind of stayed in there, uh, which was super important, I think, uh, for the team, not only for him to get those innings, but for him as a player to get that growth. Because Eddie, we've seen him be a dominant force um, for this past month, really, before he did go down with that injury. He's, he's looked like one of the better pitchers on the team. Um, and I think this is a big spot for him mentally and a guy who the Red Sox could end up depending on uh, come playoff time if they do make it that far. Um, yeah, so I was a little bit lower on what he did last night than you were. Um, the first couple innings were pretty rough. Uh, he lost his command after the first couple batters, and uh, he couldn't find the strike zone. And when he did, he was leaving pitches over the middle of the plate. Um, and then he did settle down. The third, fourth, and fifth were really impressive. Um, he was quick. He was efficient. Um, one, two, three innings with like 10 pitches each inning. Um, but then the sixth, he deserves not as much blame as Barnes, obviously, but um, he was bad that inning. And he was. He Yeah, he can't be let off the hook for that. Um, two walks and a ground rule double to load the bases, and um, he did get the first out before leaving the inning, but um, he created that situation, and obviously you want the bullpen to pick you up in a playoff team. More often than not, should have the bullpen be able to get out of that with limited damage, but um, they all should have start should have starters that don't get them in those situations. So I'm still sort of high on Rodriguez. Um, I think he's pretty clearly the fifth starter in the rotation right now. Mm-hmm. And if the playoffs started today, he wouldn't be in the playoff rotation. But um, that being said, I think he's a they'll be fine with him as a number five starter the rest of the way. Um, he should keep them in more games than not, and hopefully the offense can come through when he starts. So um, it was a mixed bag for him, and I think that's pretty much what we should expect the rest of the way. Yeah, it it seems to be a mixed bag for him more often than it's not. He did have that stretch that I alluded to, but before that, his starts this season had been pretty miserable. Um, the velocity did look good last night, which is encouraging. He just couldn't locate it where he wanted it to go, um, and I thought it was a little curious that he didn't use his changeup much. What do you make of that? Do you think he just didn't have a good feel for the pitch? Yeah, I don't... I'm really confused by his pitch usage on a game-to-game basis. I mean, yeah. one day he'll throw the changeup like half the time, and then the next game he'll just completely abandon it and go with the slider. So, yeah, I don't know if it's a pregame thing, and before the game he just decides that he's not feeling one of his pitches, so he'll just put it away, but... Um, I mean, at some point, he needs to get in a groove where he has all three of his pitches going um, on a consistent basis through at least like a month-long stretch and just see what happens because this is just really weird. When he does that, when he does have all three pitches going, though, he often does look like one of the better starters in the American League. Yeah, I mean, he there's a reason he was rated so highly uh, coming up through the minors. And um, I mean, I know I'm lower on him than most Red Sox fans, um, but... And part of the reason is that he doesn't really have that confidence in his pitches. Um, if he ever does get that, then, yeah, I think he can take a step forward. But um, I at least don't see that happening this year based on what I've seen. Yeah, we have to we have to remember, too, that with a guy like this, he's extremely young. I think Eddie's yeah. he's 23 years old still. He's, he's a young 23-year-old right now. Um, so he's, he's still figuring things out. And the mental side of the game has 
proven to be the most difficult part for him right now. Um, and you're absolutely right. He does seem to get away from his pitches. The changeup thing makes a little bit more sense to me when I think about it. Because if you can't establish fastball command early in the game, your changeup's not really going to matter all that much because that's a pitch that's incumbent upon you having a fastball that actually works. Um, so I, I see that to some extent. But um, I, I'm, I'm a little bit curious as to why you have more faith in Stephen Wright at this point of the season than you do Eddie. And obviously we can talk about the first halves that each of these guys have. They couldn't have been much more different um, with Wright having just a tremendous first half and, and Eddie being terrible. Um, but coming off that stretch where Eddie looked really good and with Wright having kind of fallen back to earth here, I actually have higher hopes uh, come playoff time of Eddie being more effective uh, than Stephen Wright at this point. What makes you uh, bullish on, on Wright? He's just been more consistent this year. Um, I mean, yeah, he was. it was a rough outing, his first start back in the DL. But, I mean, this first start before he went on the DL, that was a complete game shutout with nine strikeouts and one walk. Um, he was worse in August, but he had one outing where he gave up eight runs, another one he gave up five, and then he was solid. Uh, the rest of the way. Um, I think the biggest thing is that he's, I've been really impressed with his control mm. um, for a knuckleballer. He just really hasn't been walking guys. And um, I just think that's a recipe for success. If you can keep that up. And I mean, obviously I'm not saying it's impossible that he implodes. Um, I've been saying this all year that I just am waiting for that from every knuckleballer, but based on what I've seen so far, he's been consistent enough that, a couple bad starts um, isn't going to get me too, too worried at this point. So let me give you a scenario here. To close out the season, Red Sox are going to go into the playoffs. Eddie goes on another three or four start run where he's allowing one or two runs, striking out a lot of guys. All three pitches are working. Wright continues to kind of look up and down, mixing in some really good games with some not-so-good games. Are you still leaning more towards Wright? Yeah. As you enter the playoffs? Yeah. Um, I mean, if he's still showing those flashes. Plus, uh, Rodriguez could be a pretty big asset out of the bullpen in the playoffs. Yeah, um, power lefty who can get yeah. out guys from both sides of the plate. Exactly. They don't really have that lefty in their bullpen right now. So uh, he could be a pretty big asset in relief. And plus, um, he can piggyback off right if right has a rough start in the playoffs. Um there's quicker hooks in the postseason, so you can just take right, right out and uh, put Rodriguez in, and he can hopefully pitch for a few innings to bridge the gap to the rest of the bullpen. So, uh, I mean, unless Wright completely implodes, I I would definitely have him in my playoff rotation. You know, I think I would I would definitely go with Eddie in that situation that I talked about. I would go with Wright if we continue to see an inconsistent uh, Rodriguez heading into the playoffs, but. Um, I think for that exact reason that uh, right, well, that you mentioned for Eddie, that he could just step in if somebody has a bad outing and kind of go in there and, and, and pitch the rest of the game. I actually like Wright a lot better in that scenario than I do as Wright the starter because I think that um, he could come in and give you a completely different look from whoever was out there, and, and I do kind of like him in that flex role in the playoffs. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I just I think I'd probably prefer uh, 
Rodriguez being that big lefty out of the bullpen than I would having Wright being that change of pace kind of guy. So both these guys haven't blown our socks off recently, Wright or Eddie. We've talked about that a little bit. Uh, one guy who has been pitching excellent, though, is Clay Buchholz, uh, who was just recently jettisoned from the rotation, added to the bullpen. But he was coming off three really good starts in his own right, uh, has been pitching from the stretch more. Become, he uh, has been coming a little bit more over the top with his delivery, getting a little bit more downward plane on his pitches, uh, which has been working for him to the tune of really the best pitching we've seen from him in uh, just about a year's time. Um, Bannister is reportedly uh, the one who's been working with him a lot to help him through this period. Um, do you think it's a fair question to ask why Buckholtz, considering the run that he's on right now, uh, is being taken out of the rotation at a point where every game is this important, and why not continue to ride the hot hand here? Um, not really, just because I don't, I don't know who you take out of the rotation um, in favor of Buckholtz. What about uh, Ryder Eddie? I mean, those those two guys we've talked about with their inconsistency. Why not run this as as long as you can? Well, I mean, right um, at that point. He hadn't even come back from the DL yet, and his last start was, again, that uh, complete game shutout, nine strikeouts and one walk. So you can't really take him out of the rotation after that. (laughs) Yeah, that'd be a tough sell. Yeah, exactly. And Rodriguez, as you mentioned, had been looking pretty good lately. So um, Plus, I mean, Buckle, for as good as he's looked lately, um, you you can't forget what he did in the beginning of the year. I mean, he was awful. And yeah, he's a different pitcher now, but... I mean, that, the start against Tampa was outstanding with nine strike, strikeouts. But the first two starts, he was kind of relying on weak contact, which I don't want to say is all luck because he's done that before, but um, it's not really the overpowering kind of performance that forces you to make a move you're not comfortable with. So, um, Plus, Tampa's not a great lineup. Arizona's not a great lineup. Um, Detroit is a pretty great lineup. I'll give them that, but... He wasn't facing the best competition, and he's been so bad for most of this year that I don't really think they had another option. The only other option would be um, six-man rotation, and that would mean skipping or pushing Price and Pomerantz and those guys back a day, which doesn't seem worth it at all. So uh, I think putting him back in the bullpen for now is the only move, and if somebody implodes later in the year, you can put him back in the rotation if you have to, but right now he was just... uh, He's just the last guy left standing. This is a little bit of a bizarre world type thing right now because I'm asking you about, you know, taking Clay Buckholz out, and I've been killing this guy all season long. And I feel like all season long on this show, you've been the uh, the Buckholz defender. You've been the guy who says, I like Buckholz more than pretty much everybody else does. I do, but <laughs> I got, uh, I got uh, Lou Merloni's Twitter followers got on me. <laughs> uh, last week about Clay Buckles and oh they they gave it to you somebody got really upset that I said that I love Clay Buckles um so how did that conversation go fill us in on on uh, the Merloni followers uh so he he said something about he thought that they should take Pomerantz out of the rotation mm-hmm. which uh, is nuts because but of, yeah because of the innings limit or something and okay uh, I just I said no I quote tweeted him and just basically said that's stupid and I didn't think he was gonna respond and then he responded yelling at me in all caps and 
So I just told him to stop yelling at me, please. <laughs> and then his followers started started tweeting at me, and it was just all downhill from that. Oh, jeez. You can never win on Twitter. Yeah, no. Well, it, it is interesting that, that that we're even talking about this at all. And the bullpen depth, or I should say the rotation depth with having Buckholtz there, certainly paid off in spades. And we mentioned that last week on the show, just uh, how great it is that they didn't end up trading him. But I want to ask you, how long is the leash going to be on Eduardo and on Stephen Wright? Because from from where I'm sitting here, I could easily see Farrell turning back to the Clay Buckholtz if Eduardo continues to struggle for two more starts or if Stephen Wright doesn't get things going again. I could really see that, that hook being pretty quick. I think it would be a little bit quicker for Eduardo than it would be uh, for Wright. I think he'll probably get a little bit more leash. But, I mean, how long do you think he'll let him go, given the nature of the, the race that they're in right now? Um. Yeah, I definitely agree that it's longer for right. Um, I it's hard to say without knowing exactly how bad we're talking about. I mean, if Rodriguez goes out in his next two starts and throws like two innings and gives up six runs in each game, then yeah, he's probably out of the rotation. If he goes five innings and gives up three or four runs in two starts, um, that's probably a different story. I think it also depends on how well they do in the other turns of the rotation. Um, if they're kind of keeping pace and staying a few games up, then I don't think there'll be as much urgency. But um, at the same time, we've seen urgency has kind of been a theme this year, uh, starting with Shaw getting the job at third base early in the season um, and Castillo not being handed the job in spring training. Um, they've been kind of dealing with a sense of urgency all year, so... I think Rodriguez is bad is really bad for two starts or just not very good for three starts. Then yeah, you could see that switch again. But um, I also don't really anticipate that happening. And it also depends. I mean, if Buckles is bad out of the bullpen in its next couple outings too, then that obviously changes things. So there's a lot of moving parts. Yeah, a lot of things to consider here for Farrell. It's going to be interesting to see how he manages this whole thing down the stretch. Hopefully everybody does pitch well, so we don't have to worry about that. But uh, you know, this team this year has been super fun. And I know that on Twitter a lot, you have mentioned just what a whirlwind and how crazy this season has been and how frustrating it's been at times, but uh, how awesome it's also been at times. And uh, it's been all about the P's and the B's, you know, the Pomerantz and Porcello and Price and Pedroia and Bogarts and Betts and Bradley. It's just uh, so many guys having great seasons. But one of the guys having uh, – just an amazing season that we, I don't think, have been giving as much credit as uh, is necessary is Dustin Pedroia, who is now hitting 357 in the second half of the season and uh, I think is probably having his best season outside of his MVP year, at least the best we've seen in a long time. Um, he's been overshadowed by what Betts and Ortiz have been doing um, because they're just, they're not human, uh, what they continue to do. But I wanted to ask you, I mean, is this his best season since the MVP? And just talk about Pedroia, how he's been this year, and kind of what you've seen from him as you've watched the season progress. Uh, well, to answer the first question, I'd probably say 2011 was better. Um, that year he, he hit 307, 387, 474. Um, he walked more than he struck out. He had 21 home runs. I mean, that was 
that was probably peak Pedroia that might have been better than his MVP season. Um, but I mean that not to take anything away from what he's done this year. Um, I think you're right. It's been one of my favorite parts of the year, maybe besides like Sandy Leon or something like that. But yeah, um, yeah Pedroia when he's on is just so much fun to watch. Um, he's been last year. I thought he kind of took a step back defensively and I think he's brought his game back this year at second base. Um, and obviously, offensively, he's been a monster. Uh, he almost broke the record or tied the record or something for most plate appearance, most consecutive plate appearances with a hit. Yeah, was uh, it 10 out of 11? Yeah, something like that. I don't know. I was yeah. working all weekend. I don't, don't remember the exact story, but, yeah, I mean, he's been incredible. And um, having him at the top of the lineup in front of Ortiz and Betts has been incredible. Um and I think we're going to start to appreciate Pedroia a little more once Ortiz is gone. And Pedroia kind of becomes that guy who's been around forever. And he's been uh, with this team through so much. Um, so I'm really excited that he's back. And I mean, if he keeps doing this for a couple more years, then we start to get into possible Hall of Fame talk. And that might be a little premature, but the way he's looking this year, um, he might he might get up back on that track. Yeah, you know, I'm looking at his fan graphs page right now. Um, so by F4 right now, he's currently at 4.6. Um, they really like his defense, and I think you do too. And we've seen that be a much better part of his game this year than it was last year, like you mentioned. But we say he's back. Um, but Pedroia had some pretty good years, some of those years that we considered down years for him too. Um, 2014, when he missed some time with injury, Still put up a 4.1 war season. 2015, he had two and a half war season in 93 games. Um, so this guy's been remarkably consistent, and currently he is on pace to certainly far and away surpass if if health stays even remotely there for him. Um, that 50 war plateau where you start talking about the Hall of Fame with with certain guys, and considering the position that he's played and um, all the championships that he's won, I think that that's a very real discussion. And we could be talking about the best Red Sox second baseman of all time. Um, I guess so. I'm like the worst with baseball history. So there's probably some guy that played. I would, um, there's probably guys that played in the 40s and 50s that yeah. were better. I don't know. Bobby don't Dewar. Care. Bobby Dewar is the one we'd, we'd think about. But Anything that happened before 1998, I just have no interest in this i i have no idea it didn't happen anything no, exactly. anything uh pre-prime griffey years didn't happen for you exactly yeah I, I i see that so we won't get into the history there but certainly something that's worth appreciating right now is just how amazing he's been and what an incredible part of the team uh, he's been so plus he's like the pitching coach at the beginning of the season he was giving everybody the adjustments to fix their season uh he does it all yeah, and he can do that while playing Gold Glove defense. So, yeah, uh, yeah try and match that. Um, so Xander Bogarts has taken a little bit of a turn in the opposite direction. Um, certainly not doing what Pedroia has been doing with the bat in the second half. By the way, I didn't mention my take on the lineup as it is right now, but I, I absolutely love the changes to the lineup, and I like Mookie and uh, Xander and Pedroia in their new spots. I think it's uh, awesome. Yeah, it's fantastic. 
but Xander, though, uh, in August, he's currently batting 228. Uh, you wrote about him uh, for Over the Monster a week and a half or so ago about some of his struggles. So can you explain what's been going on with him? Because this is a guy who was batting, you know, upwards of 320 uh, for a good part of the season. Even I, th- I think it even approached 340 at times. Uh, he was that good. And now he's kind of fallen back to earth a little bit. So what's going on with Xander? Um, well, I'll start by saying that he's been better since I wrote that than he was beforehand. You um, think he read it? Oh, of course. There's somebody in the comments saying, uh, don't read it. Listen to your pitching coaches. Don't read Matt Collins. <laughs> I, thanks, bud. I think he knew that already. But um, but anyways, he pitchers have been kind of uh, treating him more like a legitimate major league uh, hitter now. Um, they're giving him uh, a lot more breaking balls and a lot fewer fastballs, and he's not doing a good job of laying off. Uh, so I think, I mean, we've seen him make this adjustment before. Uh, if you remember uh, his early career, yeah, he got killed by those earlier, and then he he started going the other way with them, and he started laying off. And now, again, he's getting them more than he was earlier in the year. He's chasing them. I don't know if it's him pressing or what it is. He's not recognizing the spin, but... Um, I'm not super worried about it just because, like I said, we've seen him make these kind of adjustments before, and I don't see any reason why he can't again. But for right now, it's really frustrating. And I think that's the biggest thing to watch um, for him is if you see him start laying off those breaking balls or at least taking them the other way, then I think we'll start to see him go on a hot streak again. But until that point, um, it's probably not going to be the same Bogarts we saw in the first half. So last year I thought it was interesting. He did kind of abandon his power stroke and was able to hit for a high average. And like you mentioned, he was spraying the ball all over the field. He did have just 27.4% hard contact rate that year. This year it's been all the way up to 30.4% on the season, and he does have the 16 home runs so far. So it's been a bit of a hybrid approach this year. He's kind of hunting pitches and hitting those for power and still kind of using the whole field. But I think it's probably a really, really difficult adjustment to make midseason, especially, you know, where we are in the season, 120 games or whatever into the season we are. I don't have the exact number in front of me, 126. 130, I think. Is it? Yeah, 100, yeah 130. Um, <clears throat> 126 played by Xander. Um, it must be really difficult, though, to to – go completely that other way again if he is getting all these breaking pitches and to kind of get back into that mindset of spraying the ball around the field when he has enjoyed success both with average and the ability to hit for power this season. Yeah, and um, I mean, I think part of the reason he was able to do that earlier in the year is because of how stacked the lineup was, or it still is, but um, at that point they were – probably more afraid of the other guys in the lineup and they were giving him a lot of fastballs and um eventually they were they were just sick of getting punished by that and they went to more breaking balls and um i don't know i i can't really see them going back to the fastball approach so he's gonna have to make that adjustment and if that means uh hitting for less power again this lineup can deal with it um they just need him to get on base in front of ortiz and uh hanley right now and mookie yeah, Hanley's been a little bit better as of late too. Nine yeah, home runs in his second half. Yeah, 
Um, you know, just I, I think he's only played like 36 or so games in the second half and already has more home runs than he had in the whole first. So uh, that's a good sign. And certainly if he can continue to get hot, that'll cover up for Xander and, and Shaw, who we'll talk about next. Uh, Shaw's been a real mess. Um, watching him in the game yesterday, uh, just nothing was going his way. Even defensively, he didn't look very good at all. And we always knew he wasn't the best defender at third, but he didn't look amazing uh, by any regards. He kind of looked bad, actually. Um, he's been batting 141 on the month uh, and increasingly looking like a guy that can't really be relied on. So I'm wondering if the Sox will do anything here. I mean, will they continue to just play him and Aaron Hill and, and Brock Holt? Uh, it, it gets a little dicey, though, with that lack of outfield depth now that Ben Benintendi's out. It's almost like there's no great solution over there right now. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that the best and easiest solution would just be for Shaw to turn around, obviously. Um, he does have a couple hits tonight, so that's a good sign. But um, if he can't turn around, then they are kind of stuck with Holt and Hill, unless you want to call it Mankata, which they've been discussing, but apparently just as a part-time player and a pinch runner. So even if he gets called up, I wouldn't expect him to take Shaw's spot or anything. Um, so I think you're kind of just hoping that Shaw turns it around. And in the meantime, you have the rest of the lineup to kind of boost him. Um, which I mean, I, I'm not super worried about it just because the rest of the lineup is swinging the bat so well. Um, but once the playoffs roll around, uh, they need somebody to be hot at that position, somebody that they can rely on, whether that's Holt or Shaw or Hill or maybe even Mankata. Um, somebody's got to get hot in September. You know, I think with how much of Shaw I've seen this year, and we've seen him be really hot and be really great. Um, he does go in streaks, and we've seen that for his entire time here with the Red Sox, uh, even dating back to last year. I think at this point I would have more faith in Yuan Moncada coming out of A and playing every day in the big leagues than I would continuing to trot Shaw out there right now. I just think Moncada's got that ability. Um, I know not everybody's going to be Benintendi in the adjustment that they have to Major League pitching, and Benintendi was a little bit more polished, maybe a lot more polished. Yeah, he, uh, was, uh, he was a lot more Major League ready uh, from what I saw in Portland. But I got to think, man, that's, that's just a, a special talent out there with Moncada. You know, certainly can make contact and uh, the speed on the bases, and he's adjusting to life defensively pretty seamlessly out there. I'm sure you've been to some games, so you can comment on that. Have you seen him play third? Uh, yeah, person? Uh, only once. I saw him the other day, and um, he was super impressive. Um, a lot, a lot better than I was expecting. Uh, the arm is great. Um, he made one play diving uh, to the line and got up and made a strong throw to get the out, and then he made another play kind of charging in and going towards the mound um, and making an accurate throw on the run. So um, he was a lot better than I expected, and I think he can be fine defensively, and he obviously adds a ton with his speed. Um, I'm just not convinced that he's any better than Shaw offensively. Um, 
So I kind of said this on Twitter the other day. I don't really have a strong opinion either way on whether he should get called up. Um, I just, I just don't know if he's good enough. So I would probably defer to the Red Sox right now. All right. Well, I mean that's fair. You you really aren't gonna know. But I I think at this point he can't be worse than what Shaw's been lately. I mean, no, batting one forty one. It's just it's. It's not usable at this point. And what really stuck out to me in the game was uh, a dribbler down the third baseline that Shaw tried to charge and just could not get the throw there in time. I just don't think he's athletic enough to make all the plays there at third. And I do think that with the arm and speed that Moncada has, even if he's a little bit raw at the position, he's going to be able to be a little bit more dynamic. Yeah, um, I would probably agree with that. I've never been the biggest fan of Shaw at third base, although he has impressed me this year. Um, there's still some shortcomings, and uh, there's kind of a lower ceiling with him defensively. Um, but, I mean, I think it all comes down to what you think Shaw's true talent offensive level is, and um, I think it's good enough where... I mean, I've seen Mankata kind of still has trouble with breaking balls at double-A, so I'm not sure how... Well, that's going to translate to the majors. Um, his strikeout numbers in the minors this year aren't too great. Um, that's probably the biggest difference between him and Benintendi. So I think, I believe Shaw is still the better offensive player. But like you said, he's so streaky. Um, if he's in the middle of a cold streak through September, then Mankata um, is the better option. It just It's hard to know what to expect from Shaw going forward. Yeah, it's that whole debate, like... He is a streaky guy, so when you're in the middle of a pennant race where every single game counts, do you let a guy just play through the streak, yeah. or do you try and plug and play? And I think the answer has to be, if you're you know managing for your job, like I think Farrell is, um, and you know that that's a whole other debate in its own right. Um, I think there's a pretty pretty good argument to be made that you just you can't let somebody go out there and hit under 150 uh, without trying some different things. See, I would probably argue the other side just because of the depth in the lineup. Uh, if there weren't six, seven other really strong bats, I'd probably agree, but um, they have the players to kind of hide Shaw until hopefully he gets hot. I think if you get a couple weeks into September and he's still doing this, then yeah, you try and make a change, but uh, for right now, I'd probably stick with Shaw. All right. So upcoming schedule for the Red Sox here, um, it, it, it does get pretty interesting. Um, we've got the three home games, the first of which is being played right now as we record this against Tampa, uh, Porcello versus Andreese, uh Pomerantz versus Odorizzi, um, and then who am I leaving out? Um, that's a good question. I didn't even notice that. Uh, nope. The, the starter who's going tonight... Uh, I don't know why I'm blanking on this right now, but um, I will be able to get it here in a second. Uh, you have uh, Smiley. You're not. You have missing Smiley and right. On right. Wednesday. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Okay. Yep. Smiley and right. I don't know how I missed that. But <laughs> it's a day game. Yep. There it is. Um, so those are interesting matchups. Um, we're seeing tonight how Porcello just continues to be super consistent. The offense actually woke up tonight. Uh, against Andreese, who isn't all that spectacular. So um, that certainly was an advantage there. Uh, we saw Pomerantz versus Odorizzi last week. 
uh, in Tampa Bay. And that was a really, really interesting game. Uh, Odorizzi, despite not having his best stuff, was able to limit the Sox to just one run in that outing. Uh, Pomerantz pitched extremely well, um, but they did end up losing that game. So that's going to be a really good one, I think, as well. Um, I'm going to give the slight edge to Pomerantz there. What do you think? Yeah, I'd agree. Um, Pomerantz has been really good his last few starts. And, um, I mean, even if you – I'm not a huge Odorizzi fan, but even if you are, uh, the difference in lineups is just too big. Now, what about Smiley versus Wright? Because that's an interesting one. I'm a huge Smiley guy. I think he has just massive talent when he's right, when he's healthy. Um, I think he's one of the better left-handers in the game. And that's – it might sound crazy, but he does no, I get, have that stuff. I get it. Um, I have him on every single one of my fantasy teams, <laughs> and I kind of hate him. He's, he's super talented, but yeah. he – he gives up so many home runs. And yep. I mean, I could see him shutting down the Red Sox, and I could also see them scoring like 12 runs in one inning. Yeah. So I think that they should crush him. I mean, he he's shown the ability to get crushed, but um, you never know. He's, he's super talented, like you said. Yeah, this is a, a super, super important uh, series for them. And like I, like I mentioned before, um, you know, the Red Sox, as soon as they finish this little series, they're going to have Thursday off uh, before they head out to the West Coast where they play three games against Oakland, and then they're going to be playing uh, out against the Padres. I think this is a pretty awesome road trip in terms of West Coast road trips, though, because Oakland is such a hapless team. San Diego might be arguably even more pitiful. Uh, and then they have to go face Toronto, who's currently playing against division rival Baltimore right now. So if they can pick up a few games here against Tampa Bay, against Oakland, and against San Diego on the road, I mean, that's a road trip you should go at least five and seven on, in my opinion. Uh, five, five out of two. seven. Uh, five and two, yeah. No, uh, no, no, there's nine games. So. Oh, sorry. The, the <laughs> West Coast portion. Oh, yeah. I no, I guess you, you should be able to win, uh, I don't know, four or five out of those six games right there. Yeah. And no, then I, against Tampa Bay, you got to take two or three, right? Yeah, I, I agree. I was talking about this last night. Um, it's really hard to uh, overstate just how important this nine-game stretch is. Um, they, these are three bad teams, and – they don't have a lot of bad teams left on their schedule. So they need to take advantage of this right now because after this stretch, the rest of the season is all ALE's teams, which is, yeah. And they have, let me see, I'm looking at it right now. After this stretch, they have three more games against the Rays, and then every other series is against Toronto, Baltimore, or the Yankees. So those are all teams contending for a playoff spot, and they need to do their damage against the bad teams right now and put themselves in the best position possible where they don't have to win every series against these playoff teams. Um, I mean, obviously you still need to win more of those series than not, but I mean, if they go seven and two, eight and one on the stretch, then they'll put themselves in a good spot where they should at least be comfortably in a wild card spot. Yeah, if they can do that, like you just said, go 7-2 and two on this run, which they are more than capable of doing, even though it's on the road. They've actually proven to be a pretty good road team this year. Um, 
that will make it just it, it will almost negate the advantage that Baltimore and Toronto have over them not having this brutal uh, road stretch towards the end of the year because a few of the uh, leftover road opponents for the Red Sox once they finish up this current road trip are going to be at Baltimore and at Tampa Bay and at the Yankees. Obviously, Baltimore is going to be really tough, but then at Tampa Bay again, you're getting a little bit of a softer opponent there. So it's very easy to see this whole thing coming down to that last series, uh, September 30th, October 1st, and October 2nd against Toronto at home. That very well could determine the division. And uh, I'm already looking at it on ESPN here. It tells you how many tickets are available for the games. Uh, that Sunday, October 2nd game against Toronto, uh, only uh, 1,800 tickets available versus 3,000 and 5,000 for the two I'm games. Surprised it's that many. That's also Ortiz's last game, obviously. Yeah, so maybe, uh, we maybe should probably get off of this and go buy some tickets for that <laughs> game. Cause... I can promise you that's out of my price range. <laughs> I'll be watching on TV. <laughs> yeah, it's if you if you can swing it, it's a it's probably pretty good. But yeah, this is super important. So um, yeah, I think you have to hope at that point that they at least have a wild card spot locked up, and that series is just for the division, and whoever loses still goes to the playoffs. Yeah, I think so. And by uh, by Monday the fifth, um, we're gonna know a lot more about uh, where this team is headed this season. Um, you know, then then I think we have at any other point during the year. So, uh, any of those Oakland matchups intriguing to you? I think one sticks out for me. Um, no, not really. Which one sticks out? Uh, Price versus Triggs. I'm interested to see. Um, for two I think reasons. They changed the. Really? ESPN has a different schedule right now. ESPN has Price versus Neil and Rodriguez versus Triggs. Oh, interesting. Marcelo versus Manaya. Either way, I'm very interested to see both of those guys individually. I want to see if Price can keep it going. Well, Price should just, dominate them. Oh, he should crush them. Um, you know, with with the strikeout stuff being as good as it's been recently, and his control being better, that should be somebody he dominates. But then Triggs is a little a little bit of an interesting pitcher here. Uh, someone that's found a four pitch mix that's really working for him, and one of the few Oakland pitchers that's looked pretty darn good recently. Yeah, I can't say that I watch a whole lot of uh, Oakland A's baseball, so. You're not staying up to all manner of the uh, the night watching watching some, a sub-500 team? There are plenty of nights where I fall asleep like 8 o'clock, so. <laughs> uh, but back to the Red Sox. Um, somebody, I forget who this was, so I kind of feel bad. I'm stealing their point without giving them credit. But um, somebody had mentioned that they need to find a way to push Price back a day, which mm-hmm. I agree with. Um, right now, he's lined up to pitch the first game of the Oakland series and the last game of the Padres series. Mm-hmm. And just pushing him back one day would get him in that Toronto series and the Baltimore series right after that. Um, oh, yeah. And I think we're at the point of the year where you kind of need to start lining up your pitchers like that, having your best guys go in the most important game. So um, I haven't looked into it. I don't know exactly. I mean, they have a day off. Uh between the last game of the Rays series and the first game in Oakland. So right. it could be done. Um, I think they'd be smart to push Price back to that Toronto series. Well, that's not something we've seen Farrell do this year. Yeah, his, I'm not, line I'm up not the pitching. I don't know. I don't know if it's going to happen, but it definitely should. Yeah, I agree with you. I think uh, this is the point of the season where situations matter. So um, 
get it done. All right, so anything else uh, before we go ahead and sign off here tonight? Um, no, I think we pretty much covered everything. Um, Sandy Leon had another hit today, so that should be mentioned. But other than that, we're good. I love King Leon. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. I, I cannot believe this is this has uh, has happened. It's my number <laughs> one most shocking moment of this Red Sox season. Oh, by far. It's it's incredible. So. Um, for everybody out there that's listening, um, you can continue to listen and subscribe to us by uh, going on iTunes and subscribing. You can also rate and review us there. Um, you can also do the same thing on Stitcher, um, and I believe you can rate and review us there as well. Uh, we also have a new listener question submission box um, that we've had almost for a month now, and we don't get questions in it. So um, I think people still don't know what's there. So here I'm dropping the gauntlet and challenging anybody who's listening to this, and I, I know there are listeners, um, to drop a question in uh, or, you know, drop a comment in, whatever. We'll we'll read it on here and uh, answer it and talk about it. So um, especially as the season's winding down, question feral, do whatever you want, put obscenities in, we'll do it. <laughs> um, so do that. And then also... Uh, again, follow Matt Collins uh, at Red Sox underscore thoughts. And uh, if you want to follow me, I am at Dev Jake. Uh, and uh, I think that's that just about does it. So for, uh, for Matt Collins, this is Jake Devereaux saying thanks for tuning in, and we'll be with you next week.